We back. What's up, everybody? Uh, it is just me today. I'm riding solo. My name is Jake Berlin. Thank you so much for joining me, everybody. Uh, the Mandalorian is back. Super excited to start talking Mando on a weekly basis. Um, it will be Brian with me uh, most of the weeks, but he's just not feeling too good today. So he had to take a uh, take a step back. And I'll be riding solo to talk episode one. Uh, chat. Well, episode one, chapter 17 of The Mandalorian season three. Thank you guys so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Um, super excited to talk, Mando. Look, uh, I, it, it's it goes without saying, but I know everyone is super excited for this show, and that definitely is the case for myself. Uh, we've been looking forward to this for a very long time. It's been almost two years since we've seen Mando on his own television show, which is super, super exciting. So um, I'm excited to dive into it. There's a lot to talk about today. Uh, just a heads up, uh, we're going to be live every Wednesday, 6 o'clock Pacific, right here on the channel, discussing Mandalorian and talking everything that comes with it. Uh, and we're going to have special guests, too. We're going to have some special guests joining us, which is going to be very, very cool. Uh, we have a bunch of guests lined up throughout the entire season. And uh, they they uh, agreed to come on the channel, which is super exciting. So I know Brian and I are very much looking forward to that. So uh, but let, let's let's dive into this, guys, because this is a big deal. Mando's back. Uh, you know, we've had the Bad Batch and, and you know, that show has been doing great on on, uh, you know, Disney Plus. But we're back in live action Star Wars and I'm super excited to do this and, and talk this. And, and this show is just it picked up, picked off, picked up, excuse me, right where it left off. And I just think it's fantastic. So, um, look, this this episode started off in a big way. We, we open up with the armor here and I, I'm kind of going to go through the episode um chronologically it's kind of the best way to talk about it and if you guys have any questions or comments that way we can veer our conversation i'd love for you guys to leave that in the chat but um this episode starts off with the armor and we see uh the children of the watch um and let me just text my wife real quick hold on a second she just called me um doing mandalorian review call you in a bit on the fly i love it okay uh so look we we get the armor and we get the children of the watch and we see them basically bringing a young kid into the fold and we're going through the whole process of them becoming a mandalorian and you know we see what they're doing and look let's just call call it what it is they're a bunch of cultists they are um that they, they operate in very cultist ways and it's been through the first two seasons of the show, we've kind of seen these characters go in that direction. Right. And it's mainly been obviously the armor and Paz Vizsla. And so we see that last time we saw them, it was just them two. And it's funny. I actually watched that episode last night before I went to bed. Uh, episode five of the Boba Fett, which is the episode where Din, um, you know, comes into contact with the armor and Paz Vizsla on that world that looks like a ring. And uh, they had kind of hashed it out and Paz goes with a dark saber, et cetera. So you guys know all that. But since then, they've grown in size immensely. Like they have totally grown and, and become much stronger. And there's dozens of them now, all kinds of variations of, of Mandalorians, which I love to see. I love the colors and the, the different styles of helmets and armor and, you know, uh, even weapons. And so they're, they're growing and, uh, Gordon says it in the chat here, and I want to make sure I bring it up because this was this was a lot of people's thoughts as soon as they first saw it. Before kind of before things kind of just started to get revealed, um, it very much was set up to be almost like that was Din as a child. 
before you kind of like put the picture together a little bit and then you obviously saw Din come in in just a little while, it very much looked like Din as a kid. Um, but once we realized it wasn't and then recognizing that, oh, they've been doing their job and they've been putting in the work on recruiting to whether it's called Children of the Watch or, or whatever they're calling themselves, there's a lot of them now. It's not just the two of them anymore. And yeah, so we, we see this sequence of them uh, bathing uh, a, ch a child to become a, a child of the watch. And then out of nowhere, a gigantic sea alligator uh, pops up and I'm going to call it a, Z a Zillow alligator. Cause that thing had a rock hard shell on its back. It was monstrous. It looked like something out of like Godzilla or King Kong starts attacking. We get some incredible action scenes in this episode. Um, and this is one of them. Like what a way to start the episode off, right? Like, you obviously want to be brought back into this world very quickly and you want to see um, like, of course we want to see characters and storylines, but you also want to see some cool action. And I thought it was a great way to do it. You know, we get to see the armor in action. We get to see Paz Vizsla. We get to see the rest of the, the Mandalorians around them in action. And it was very cool. I thought it was very cool. And eventually after learning that their weapons are just not going to cut it against this thing, out of nowhere, we get the official nod that this is not a flashback. Din comes flying in with an N1 Starfighter and blows the thing to bits. I love it. Seeing that thing in action is so incredible. We're going to get to that a little bit later in the episode. But seeing the N1 Starfighter in action, just a bit up against a beast like that with you know uh, the abilities that it has and the power that it has is pretty fantastic. So yeah, Din essentially comes and saves the day. Um, and whether or not the armor and Paz Vizsla like it, he saves the day, and uh, you just get alligator guts all over the place, which I think is awesome. Um, you know, again, a great way to start the episode. So, uh, fast forwarding a little bit um, after Din lands and all that stuff, we get a conversation between the armor and Din. You know, uh, kind of going back to that episode five of Boba Fett, where they're talking about you know uh, how he can reclaim the name of Mandalorian because the armor says you are no longer a Mandalorian, and even though he is. To her, she's not because he lifted his helmet off, right? He took his helmet off. And he did it willingly. He did it himself. Um, so we have that kind of conversation again. Din is very much still stuck on this idea of trying to right the sins he has made to her and and to the watch is what I'm going to call them. And I just don't get it, man. Like, I know that he grew up with them and he was obviously committed to them for a long time. And maybe he just hasn't had enough contact with people like Boba Fett and, and Bo-Katan and everything that's about with her. But he just, he seems so hung up on the idea of like, that's what it mean That's what it means to be a Mandalorian. Like to be with her and to be with them means that's what it is to be a Mandalorian. It's just not true. Like I, I know that this season's eventually going to get there and Din's going to come to his senses and he's not going to want to become a children of the watch anymore. And he's not going to, he's going to, I mean, we've all kind of been predicting it, but he's going to fight them. Like that's, what's going to become the enemy is the armor and Paz Vizsla and, and what they're building. But he doesn't know that right now. And it seems like it's just been forever. He's still hung up on that idea. And so he just basically says to her, Hey, what do I have to do? You know, you have to bathe in the waters below Mandalore. Um, and she tells him, oh, well, they're buried. And he's like, well, I'm going to go. And she responds with, this is the way. So she basically said, hey, if you do this, you're back. And he's like, okay, 
I'm gonna go do this. Like this is my this is what I'm gonna go do. I'm gonna go to Mandalore. I'm gonna bathe in the water. I'm gonna try to get my name back and become part of this Mandalorian culture again. As far as the armorer side and everything, he's gonna he's gonna try to become a cultist again. He doesn't recognize it, but he's gonna try to become a cultist again. Um, but I mean, look, it, it creates great storylines. It creates really really good uh, character development and and plot points, which totally makes sense. I get it. But eventually, he's he's gonna recognize that it's not a good thing. And so I'm very much looking forward to that day because, like I just said, we've all been saying it for a long time. He is 100% going to recognize at some point that they are the enemy and they're going to duke it out. Like it's going to be Din versus Paz or Din versus the Armorer. And what I fully believe is that Bo-Katan and who, whatever other Mandalorians are going to be on his side fighting alongside them. So I'm very curious. I mean, who knows? Maybe. Maybe he does bathe in the waters uh, of, of Mandalore and he rejoins that tribe. And then halfway through the season, something happens where he you know, denounces the tribe. I don't know. I mean, it, it's very possible. I just don't see a world where they're on the same side. And I don't know how you guys feel about that, but it seems clear as day to me. And a lot of us have had this conversation over the past year or two, many, many times. But it seems clear as day to me that the, that the armor is going to be Din's main antagonist by the end of it. Like, not like the big bad, quote unquote, but that's who he's going to be fighting. You know, he has small fights here and there with some characters or, or you know, in his own head, um, his own beliefs. But I, I just, I fully believe that the armor is going to become the main antagonist, uh, whether it's in the next few episodes or by the end of the season. And, and she's growing her tribe and she's growing what, you know, that cult or that side of the culture, I should say, believes in. And it's obviously not good. So I'm very curious on where that goes, you know, how fast we get there, because by the end of this episode, it very much looks like next episode, we're going to be seeing Din do that. So um, it could happen very soon. It could happen very, very soon, which I'm looking forward to. But moving past the opening sequence of, of Din, you know, uh, shooting the alligator beast and then talking to the armorer. The next part of this episode is the part that blew my mind, and I'm sure blew everybody else's mind across the world. Um, Pergils. Spoilers. We saw Pergils in live action. Now, we didn't get to see them up close and personal. They were just shadows. But we see Din and Grogu in hyperspace in the end when Starfighter headed to Navarro. And... At first, it just looks like a normal hyperspace run. You know, Grogu's in his little nest up top. And then we we get this shot of him looking and we pan over. And there's Pergils traveling in hyperspace alongside of them. Freaking fantastic. I don't want to cuss, but like what a beautiful, beautiful way to bring them into the, to the fold in live action. And this obviously has major implications on a show that's coming later this year in Ahsoka which we can talk about here in just a little bit, but I never thought, and this goes back to watching Star Wars Rebels, you know, as it was coming out. And some of you may remember this, but when Star Wars Rebels came out and they did the, what at the time they called them space whales, which they still do space whales, pergils. Everyone thought it was an absolute joke. Everyone thought it was the most ridiculous thing you know, putting space whales and them traveling in hyperspace and all of this stuff. I, I remember like very vividly 
how all of that was reacted to. And then you fast forward to the season or the series finale, excuse me, of Star Wars Rebels and how they were brought back into the fold, how they saved what, you know, could have ended up being called the galaxy, but at the time was Lothal against the rebel cell of Hera, Sabine, Ezra, etc. You know, Ezra has this connection to them and the Pergils saved them in rebels and, and took Ezra and Thrawn away. We know we've always had these conversations of, well, Thrawn and Ezra are off somewhere in wild space, some random planet that we have no idea about living their lives right now. The reason because of that is because of the Pergils. Like that's, that's why. And if, if you don't remember that scene or if you've never seen that scene, I highly recommend um, you can probably type into YouTube, like star Wars rebels finale, Ezra and Thrawn or space. Well, like star Wars rebels, um, Pergils slash space whales or whatever. So they became an, an incredible amount of importance past that very first episode that we ever saw them. And we knew eventually that we were going to see them because if they tell the story of Thrawn and Ezra, they're going to come up at some point, but not never did I think that they were going to show up in the Mandalorian within 10 minutes of the first episode. Like it was pretty fantastic. And again, like what a great little Easter egg heading into Ahsoka it was the perfect tease. Like you didn't need to show them fully. You didn't need to show like a, a, you know, one up close and personal or anything. Just show that they're traveling in hyperspace. And again, also like what a better way to show them than with Grogu, who most people probably would look at that and be like, oh, okay, whatever. But Grogu, he, his eyes are still so wide open to things around him, right? He's, he's a young child he's experiencing so many things for the first time and this being one of them, it's perfect to put that through his eyes. And so I applaud them for doing that. It's a very brave and bold move, but I think it was the perfect scenario and I've mentioned it twice, but it's going to perfectly tie in and set up what everything is going to be coming with Ahsoka. Ahsoka is going to be dealing with all that stuff. And so I, I think it was just awesome to use and what a great time to do it. So I applaud them again on doing that. Um, yeah, so look, we fast forward from that. We end up on Navarro and Din meets up with Grief Karga. Looking fly as ever. This dude looks better and better every time we see him. And Navarro itself is looking better and better every time we see it. It um, is much bigger. It's much you know cleaner. It's growing in size. It's becoming much more of a uh, a port rather than just like a town. And that's that's noted in the episode, right? They're they're one of the biggest trade outposts that isn't connected to a government, um, and that's all because of what Grief Karga has done. Uh, just quickly here, because not a lot of people have talked about it, or at least from what I have seen. Uh, but we did get the the brief brief mention of Cara Dune that she was recruited by special forces, which leads me to believe that she, um, she's just working for the New Republic, which you know. Made makes sense. It totally makes sense. The New Republic's kicking strong. They need they need fighters. They're trying to build out and and restore the galaxy after everything that happened with the Empire. And you know she fought during those wars, and it would make sense for her to return to that. So um, I know a lot of people were talking about that they were going to like kill her off screen or anything like that. But I thought it made a lot of sense to just say, hey, she got recruited by special forces. She was really good, and she wouldn't did that. And nobody's going to bat an eye at that, right? To me, this is just like, you know, she'd never come back. And look, it, it leaves open the possibility that she could come back. 
but I don't think we'll ever see the character again. She's not needed anymore. I think the world has been opened up so much with the Mandalorian since she was introduced. I don't think she's needed as much as she was originally needed. So I think it was a great way to just kind of, you know, push her to the side. Her story has been told and now we're moving on. Uh, Andy. Yes. When we meet grief Karga, that was one of the first things I noticed. And I was looking at them the entire time. He's got two little droids holding his cape. Fantastic. Absolutely. Fantastic. That is such a grief Karga slash Carl Weathers move. I love it so much. Um, everyone's been saying it online, so I'm going to take it from him, but his drip, he keeps getting drippier over the, over the times we see him and it's bigger and better than ever this time around. So I love it. I think Carl Weathers is such like an absolute treat in this show. He's so good at this character. And I love that they continue to use him and I love the role they've given him. Right. Um, he's a, he's a, a high mag- magistrate, which I love that they call him a magistrate. He's like, no high magistrate. Um, it's just a perfect role for that character. I think it's great. Um, and I love their relationship. I love, I love grief and Din's relationship because it's grown over the, the number of years and they've been through some ish together, obviously like they've, they've fought and they've battled and, uh, they've surrendered and they've done all kinds of things together. So they're, he's definitely one of Din's good friends in the galaxy. And if I'm sure if Din ever came calling grief would 100% help him. So, uh, yeah, and we, and we see Grief, you know, offer him up some land and, you know, letting him settle down. But obviously, Din's got other plans. He's got to do some things. And Dark Saber Mandalorian, Dark Saber Mandalorian related. Um, just quick side note here. We got that awesome, awesome clip scene that they released uh, about a week, two, maybe two weeks ago of Grogu using the Force, flipping his chair around, grabbing some uh, space Skittles. I thought it was great. Uh, even in the scene, even though we've seen it, it was great to see it still. I thought it was fantastic. So uh, that moment was definitely special. But uh, yeah, the whole goal of why Din is there is to get IG-11, which I thought was such a cool way to bring the character back into the fold. Because if you watch the episode and you watch the previously on before the episode aired, they showed the scene where IG-11 died in the lava, self-destructing, etc., and I, my immediate thought was, oh, that's interesting. Like, okay, why? I don't know why you would show that, but that's interesting. And then fast forward and there's a reason. Like, they try to revive him. Din tells Griefs, like, hey, I need one thing from you. I need IG-11's body. And it wasn't the full body. It was just basically the upper half. And I actually have, there's IG-11 right there. Um, And it was just, if I can get my finger right, it was just his upper half. I can't get my finger right. I'm sorry, guys. There we go. And Din goes to work on him, gets some wires right, crosses some T's, dots some I's, and IG-11 reverts back to his original uh, demands, commands, not, not demands, commands, and he tries to hunt Grogu. Uh, so he sees Grogu. He's like, ah, oh, that's I need that thing. They try to shoot him. Obviously, IG-11 is very powerful. I haven't seen anybody talk about this, but that little, like, that little football toss that Din did with Grogu to grief, I thought was hilarious. Uh, like, what a moment. Like, just on the fly thinking, right? Like, oh, IG Lemon's coming for me. I'm tossing Grogu to the side. Grief, no butterfingers here. You got to catch the dude. I thought it was great. Um, and I thought it was even better that Grief's droid saved the day by pushing over a statue of himself. Um, mind you, the statue wasn't in like a hallway or a great room. The statue of Grief of himself was in his own office which I thought was just hilarious. Like it wasn't in the lobby or anything. It was just in his own office for him to look at, which is a great touch for grief. So 
I'm all for it. Um, but this this moment leads to obviously the cool moment of grief offering help to get uh, IG11 fixed from uh, some droid builders mechanics who, since Navarro has grown so much and and become a huge, you know, trade outpost and port in the galaxy, it's attracted many people to come there, operate there, work there, live there, etc. And as Grief says, it's attracted many of the best droid mechanics in the galaxy. Mr. Babu Frick and his buddies. I love it. Like we saw, we saw him in the trailer and we never really knew why he was going to be there or how he was going to be there or when, but like what a great little storyline to throw him in there and, and his buddies, excuse me. Like I'm not trying to throw his buddies out, but I just don't know their names, but Babu Frick like comes into the fold and, you know, obviously in the rise of Skywalker, we saw him uh, working on three PO and fixing up three PO and adding some things to three PO that we needed. And, unlocking some things 3PO that we needed so he was very skilled in that that aspect of of Star Wars and so if you're gonna send a droid to someone and you have the access to send them take him to Babu Frick and what a great again like a perfect Star Wars scene in my mind right they're very small they're little creatures they obviously don't need a regular size house okay they have a small window of a door didn't cross through. We don't see him crawl through, but he crawls through. And he's sitting cross-legged, just sitting there. I love it. I love it so much. Uh, he's in this tiny little house. Um, it reminds me of Luke in Yoda's hut in uh, Empire and Return of the Jedi. How it was just a small little building and a human-sized person wouldn't operate well in there. Very similar, right? Like, didn't sit and cross-legged cross and everything. I thought it was perfect. And I love when Grief was, like, chiming in, translating. And look... I get it, translating, but Din's been everywhere. He probably knows what's happening. It was just funny to see that happening as he's kneeling down and yelling it through the window. Um, but yeah, Andy mentions it in the chat. Uh, Grogu trying to snack up on Babu and his buddies. Just hilarious. Like fully, the second he sees them, oh, biggest candy I've ever seen in my entire life. He wants all of that, which I thought was so perfect and so funny. Uh, adding to the character of Grogu, adding to the personality personality of Grogu. I loved it. I loved it so much. Um, and I love like when Din grabbed him, put him down, and then he went back again. Uh, it's just, it's such, the way that they adapt and tell Grogu's personality is pretty perfect. Like he's obviously getting older and they're adding things to him here and there, but still very much that kitty aspect. And going back to what I said earlier about experiencing new things in the world, this is the first time he's ever experienced something like this. So it would make sense for him to be like, ooh, that looks yummy, which I thought was a great touch. So, um, but yeah, we, we leave that scene uh, just knowing that Babu and his buddies are working on IG-11. So we're going to be getting IG-11 soon. Uh, we're going to be getting that character soon. And if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, chat or anybody out there. I'm pretty sure Mando said that he was going to go hunting for the part to get Babu and then they could fix him. Um and so we could all wrap back around and then see IG-11 get, you know, revamped up once once we return back to Navarro. So that's a very interesting storyline. Um, but I, I love seeing everything about Navarro. I just love that the city is there like that. And I think it's a great central hub for Mando. You know, we've seen him on Tatooine a couple of times and he's traveled to many, many planets and cities in the time that we've seen him. But I think that Navarro could be a really, really good central hub for the character. And it always kind of has been. 
you know, from the first couple of episodes, he was obviously getting bounties from grief out of Navarro. It would make sense for him just to continue to, for that to kind of be like his, I'm not going to call it his home hub. Central location is kind of the best way to put it. So I have no doubt we're going to be spending a lot of time in Navarro. I think it's great. I love what they've done with it. And it just, it equals more grief. So I'm all for it. Um, Real quick, before I keep going, I need some liquid. So just hang on for a second. Talking by yourself is a lot. I've been talking for 24 straight minutes, essentially. I love it, but I got to stay hydrated. Otherwise, my mouth starts to get all dry and starts collapsing. But so in this moment, after the whole Babu Frick, IG-11 stuff, this is where we really start getting the sides, the, the cool stuff. We, we really start getting the stuff that I love, which is the pirates, space battles, the action. I love it. I love it. And I thought the pirates were perfectly captured. Uh, we see Din and Grief come up to the pirates and, you know, these pirates are trying to enter a school. That's not a school. Um, it's. Or, excuse me. They try to enter a school that they that used to be a bar, but is no longer a bar because it's school. That's what I meant to say. Um, and they just want in. They're being asshole pirates per usual, and they want in. And they want to. They whether it's a school or not, they still want to enter the building, which I thought was a little odd. Like, you know, he's like, oh, I still want to go in if I want to drink. Uh, Vane, I think was his name. Vane, I think it was Vane. Um, but great incarnation of pirates. I love the way they look. Uh, Obviously, it comes back into the fold here in a little while with a little bit of a space battle, which I thought was great. You know, just getting that space battle real quick. Like, actually, before we get to the space battle, I'm going to read some of the comments just to make sure I'm not reading anything uh, or missing anything. Um, let's see. It made me think of Elf. Yes, maybe Grogu is Majin Buu. Uh, last time Grogu was on Navarro, he was stealing cookies from kids. Great point, John Pedro. Great, great point. I forgot that scene. He was in school. Um I don't think he was trying to eat them. He was hugging, playing. Yeah, I mean, you can definitely see it like that. I just like he was so overly excited. It almost looked like he was trying to like almost lick them like a lollipop per se. Um, but yeah, I'm, either way, like whether it was hugging, playing, eating, it was a great, great scene. I thought it played to the personality of him very, very well. Um, uh, John, but I swear that grief said if anyone can find it and Zelens can, might they go have gone with him? I don't think they got they went with him. I think Din's gonna find the part and bring it back to him. I think is what's gonna happen. Uh, I think it just makes it makes sense for Din to come back instead of taking them with him when he's already got Grogu. Um, but may, I mean maybe, maybe very much maybe. So, uh, and then let's see. John Pedro, the Pirate King, Eichmann, Sigmund, the Sea Monster. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're going to get to the Pirate King here in a second. Pirate name, Vane, was perfect. Yes, I agree with you, Andy, especially for me as I just rewatched. Oh, you just rewatched Black Sails? I need to do the same. I haven't seen it since it finished, so I, I definitely need to do the same. That's a great call. Uh, I think he's always the recipient of people picking him up and holding him. He wanted to do the same. I, and that is a great point. That is a very, very good point. He's been picked up so much in his life. He could very now he's finally seen something that's a little bit smaller than him. So that's actually a really good point. Good call. Um, all right, let's let's get to the pirate fight, which I'm gonna call it. Pirate star fight and the pirate himself. Um the star fight, 
was my probably my favorite part of the entire episode. I and you got you guys watching know this, but I love this part of Star Wars. And obviously when it's done well, it was done very, very well. You know, we've seen bits and pieces of what the N1 can do at this point. But we haven't been able to see like how strong and powerful it really is. And we finally got to kind of got to see like the training wheels taken off, right? He's put into a situation where he has he has to get out of. He's flying away, you know, he's leaving Navarro, he's going off on his little quest, and he gets, you know, tracked by these pirates. There's three of them at first, turns out to be six, and the pirates think they have him. Of course they don't, because one, it's Din, and two, he's in an N1 that's got a supercharger in it. But we get this incredible sequence of him doing this star fight where he's not only just like dodging and maneuvering and and using the skills he has as a flyer, but there's that those two quick moments of him realizing he can use the asteroids as not just shields, but like almost co-pilots where he sits behind an asteroid, pops out, and then sits behind another asteroid, pops out, and so forth. And like, I was watching, um, I was watching Star Wars Explained earlier, and someone mentioned this on the on the stream. It, it might have been Alex, maybe it was Molly, but they said it very much felt like Batman coming out of the shadows, doing his business, and falling back into the shadows, which I thought was great. It was a great comparison to what Din was kind of doing, and I thought it was just a really, really cool addition to Din as a pilot. Because look, we we've seen him as a pilot with the Razor Crest before, but the Razor Crest is very big, it's very clunky, you know, it's a huge ship and it's it's he's able to do a lot with it, but he's not able to do what he can with the N1 what he was uh in in the Razor Crest. The the N1 has way more capabilities than the Razor Crest does. And so we're now being able to see how skilled he is as an actual pilot. You know, he's got to use the he's got to use the guns and he's got to use the the ship's maneuverability and he's got to use the speed. And I just think it was fantastic. I thought it was great. Um, this, the music in that scene as well was just killer. Uh, and I just loved how it almost felt like Din was toying with them, even though he was in, he was being the one chased a few times. He was the one that was kind of toying with them because obviously he's better. Like, there's no question he's better. He's freaking Din Djarin. Um so yeah, he kills five of the six, and then we see him chasing down Vane, and Vane eventually gets to the mothership, and we see and please chat tell I need to know the pirate, the pirate king's name. I'm forgetting the pirate king's name, so please let me know. But uh the gun, the guns on the on the main ship pointed in. He's kind of caught in the crossfire a little bit, and the pirate king comes up and basically says, you know fold i got you and of course din's gonna hit the nos and fly right off but let's talk about the pirate king for a little bit i mean i've seen a couple people online talking about the look of him and uh how interesting the character looked i loved it i loved it i loved it so much i loved how uh, obviously pros uh practical it looked not prosthetic practical it was Pirate King Gorian Shard. Thank you. The one true king. Thank you, Andy. Um, 
I love the look of this character so much. And and I don't believe it's something that we've ever seen before. I could be wrong, uh, but I'm pretty sure it's a brand new species. And I love when Star Wars does this. I love when Star Wars kind of just like, you know, they don't reuse a Trandoshan or a Wookiee or, I mean, they do in moments, but there are so many worlds out there that we've never seen. I love when they just put a random species that looks, that's a brand new look that we've never seen before in a story. I think it's perfect. I think it's great. And so I'm all for it. I love that. Like the weeds are just kind of flopping around and as he's walking and he's got a cane, he's obviously a little hunched over. I love it. I love it so much. And um, there was even like a, uh, like a warthog boar looking thing in the background, which I thought was very interesting. Um, and I, I definitely think that the, that character is coming back on the fold. Like there's no way, there's no way that one, you introduce that character like that to create practical effects for a character like that. And three design a badass ship like that. If you're not bringing that character back into the fold. So I could see Din going up against the pirates a little bit. I have a feeling, I, I know many people have probably talked about this online, but um, you know, we had that moment of grief talking about how uh, he wanted a marshal for the city, right? And he wanted someone to protect them. He offered Din the job. And he talked about how they're one of the biggest trade ports that's not connected to a government. That not being connected to like the New Republic or anything obviously leaves open the door for something like pirates to attack and, and do business there and do whatever they want if no one is really overseeing the town, the city, the the village, etc. So I can see a situation where, you know, Din is either called or when he comes back, the pirates have kind of invaded, taken over um, or doing something that they're going to regret. Like, let's be honest, they're going to regret. So, um, yeah, I loved it. I love the pirate stuff. I think it's great. I, space pirates, like, come on, space pirates, guys. It's it's awesome. Speaking of black sails, space pirates. How can you not love space space pirates, especially when they look as cool as um, a space swamp thing, a space thing? There you go. I, it's funny. I actually saw someone on, I think it was Twitter, um, saying this is Star Wars version of Pizza the Hut. <laughs> uh, obviously not pizza, but very similar, just kind of like a big clunky character with practical effects. Um, I love it though. I again, this is what makes Star Wars so fun. Uh, but yeah, let's let's fast forward after the pirate stuff. We see um, Din was going. He was actually before we get to that sequence. I want to talk about um, Din teaching Grogu everything about being a Mandalorian in hyperspace, which I thought was very interesting because we've always been debating and talking about how okay is is Grogu going to learn the ways of being a Mandalorian? Is Excuse me. Is Din going to take that upon him to teach Grogu the ways of what he learned or what he thinks he should learn rather than becoming a Jedi? In this scene, I thought it was like not 100% set in stone, but like it was hit over the head pretty, pretty good that Din is taking it upon himself to be like, okay, you have to learn this. Like if you're going to one day do this, this is what this means. This is what this means. It's like, and I have experience with this because my my father did this with me, but it's like teaching your teenage son 
about cars, like the gas gauge and the temperature and, you know, the oil and just all of that, right? That like you go through that process, uh, you know, majority of people go through that process before they learn to drive because you kind of have to learn the machinery that you're flying or driving, flying, driving. We don't fly cars, but yet anyway. So I, I love that scene of just kind of like a little plant in there, like during your time in hyperspace, because it's a little bit of time. Teach him, you know, teach him about the gauges and and what this means and you know stuff like that. And now that I'm thinking about it, that scene actually takes place before the starfighter fight, because when Din is showing him the enemy locator, that's when the pirates show up. So it actually takes place before the pirate fight. So I apologize. But either way, I thought it was a really cool scene of kind of just teaching him what it is all about. And, and I have no doubt we're going to see more of that. And, you know, Din has taken on the responsibility of him. And so I, I think that it's a great touch to do every once in a while. If they're in those moments where it's just the two of them, whether it be a blaster, which I don't think it'll be a blaster, but whether it be a blaster, you know, uh, ship technology, anything, being that Din is now committed to taking care of him, he kind of needs to take it upon himself to uh, show him what's going on. Otherwise, Grogu's never going to know. So, um, Andy, it also connects back to episode one when Rick Ollie was showing Anakin the controls. Yeah, that I mean, hey, good call. It's a nice little Easter egg for sure. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, before before Andy got into the cockpit, you're right. Good call. Um, so, yeah, after this in the pirate fight, we get one of the coolest scenes. And we see Din flying to Kalvala, which I believe that's the way you pronounce it. I could be wrong. It's a moon of um, it's the moon of, of Mandalore. And we see the Mandalorian castle of Bo-Katan. Uh, very, very cool. I love the music set up in this. I thought it was a really cool design. It felt very Mandalorian. But Din just has access to go. He just has access to hang out and, and go see go see Bo-Katan. But it wasn't a pleasant visit. I can tell you that much. It was a. It wasn't a terrible visit, but it was just kind of like a like an I give no f's visit, which we're gonna get to here in a second. Again, guys, I've been talking for thirty eight minutes on my own. It's a lot. It is a lot. And I actually did a bad batch review just before this, so I've been talking for probably over an hour by myself. <laughs> um, Andy, I totally thought they were going to Tatooine to get Pellis help to find the droid stuff. Ah, I, I mean, it definitely would have made sense. Um, it makes me wonder how quick Din really needs the droid. Like, he obviously wants a buddy and he wants help, but the Mandalorian stuff seems to take a little bit more precedence than possibly IG-11. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But yeah, look, getting to the scene, we get to Kalvala and we see, we see Bo-Katan for the first time. And she's sitting all cross-legged up on, on her throne, or just a chair, I should say. Not, te not technically a throne. Maybe a throne. But it is a castle, so it should have a throne. Um, and she basically just reveals that after season two, you know, the finale where Din uh, kept the Darksaber, Bo-Katan could not take it because she didn't win into battle. She didn't challenge Din. After that moment, after they got Moff Gideon's ship, that all of her people basically left. That they just didn't believe in her anymore. You know, that she she couldn't lead because she doesn't have the Darksaber. That someone else who is not connected to the Mandalorian culture has the Darksaber. And... We learn that, uh, you know, 
people that we've met through Bocatan have you know picked up and left, and they're you know basically living the mercenary life on that ship, uh, doing jobs, doing things. Uh, maybe it was a planet, Gordon, but I I could have swore it was a it was one of the two moons, at least the two moons of Mandalore. I could be wrong. Because uh, I know that Mandalore has at least two moons. Um, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But yeah, look, uh, we, we know that characters like Casca Reeves and uh, others, they just didn't believe in Bo-Katan anymore. And, and they're gone. And they're off living their life. So Bo-Katan's alone. It's a planet, not a moon. Thank you. Thank you. Say thank you for the confirmation. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, so Kalvala is just in... I'm pretty sure we talked about this on POV this week, but um, it's obviously the home of Satine and Bo-Katan, which would make sense. And so it wouldn't technically make it a moon. So thank you for the confirmation guys. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was interesting because look, the beginning of the episode, we see Din basically pleading to come back to be with the armor and be a part of her group. But in this moment, Din's telling Bo-Katan, I want to join your quest. Like, what are we doing? What's the deal? I'm a part of it. If you need me, you got me. And Bo-Katan says, there's no more quest. It's over. I lost the Darksaber. I lost the trust and the belief of the people that followed me. There's no more of that. Um, and it makes sense as to why, you know, for majority of the trailers and stuff, we saw her alone and Bo-Katan with just Din, etc. Um, I obviously think that's going to change. You know, I think that we're going to see a lot of Mandalorians in this season. We saw it in trailers. There's a lot of stuff happening. Um, but I thought it was a great way to introduce her. And she's obviously very sour and depressed. It's kind of that moment of like, think of it as like just losing a job interview. Like one you're really looking forward to and going home and sitting on the couch and just not moving. And just being just sulking and not being happy and being a little sourpuss. And I loved every second of it. I thought Katie Sackoff did it perfectly. I thought she plays, I think she plays this character so well. I love Bo-Katan so much. I love this character so much. Um, I'm so happy she's in this series and being used to the full extent. I think that she's such a rich character that has such an interesting um, outlook on everything. And so to pair her with someone like Din Djarin, who knows nothing of the Mandalorian culture, really, uh, I think is a great, great choice. So um, super, super happy they're going in this direction. I think it puts it. It obviously teases the conflict, uh, and the whole episode, right? It it sets up multiple things. It sets up the conflict with the armor, um, not as much as it sets up the conflict with Bo-Katan because Bo-Katan wants that dark saber. She wants that dark saber, and I, I think that you know at some point in the season we're going to see the two go at it, uh, but it's going to be to a point where they go at it and then they become allies. I I think that. At some point in the season, Din and Bo are going to be like this. They're, they're going to be tight, brother and sister in arms. They're going to be fighting for the same goal, the same morals, the same uh, culture, everything. I think Bo is going to take it upon herself once she realizes that Din is kind of the future, that the ways that she's fighting for aren't going to work just as much as the armorers are because they're old ways that have not worked in the past that what they did in the past has never worked. It's fallen apart. They've lost things. I think she's going to see something in Din that says, Oh, 
there is a new way of doing this, and he is the way. Like, he is the way. Not this is the way. He is the way. Um, so I think eventually they're going to get to a point where they are brother and sister in arms and that it's going to be Bo and Din together. And I can't wait for that moment. I can't. Like, I want to see them on the same side, fighting for the same goals together. I don't want to see them where they're doing a mission together, but they're still fighting for different things. I want to see them doing a mission together where they're fighting for the same thing. And I think we will get there eventually because like I said at the top of the episode, I think the end game of all of this is the armorer being the true villain. And I think it's going to be the armorer, Paz, them versus Din, Bo, and whatever Mandalorians come to fight with them. So I think it sets up an incredible conflict that happens at some point in the season, probably the finale or towards the finale. Um, I definitely agree with Gordon. I think for people that don't really recognize it, I think that, um, you know, they're setting Bo up to, they're, they're making it feel like Bo is going to fight in and not fight for what, not fight for the good things, kind of like be an antagonist, not so much an antagonist, but, you know, to that point. But to me, it's almost clear as day as like, there can't be three sides anymore. There can't be three sides of Mandalorians that we've seen for decades and decades of storytelling where, you know, there's this clan, there's this clan, there's this. Clan. It just hasn't worked. It, it worked for a while, but it hasn't worked. Mandalore needs to be united. And Bo was a part of the problem in that she was, she was uniting her section, like her people and the people that she wanted on her side. But because it never worked, I think eventually we're going to get to a point where she realizes none of that's going to work anymore. And they have to find a new way of thinking. And it's going to be what Din's way of thinking is. I 100% believe that that's what's going to happen. I don't know if we're going to get to the point where Din is what the, what is called Mandalore, the true ruler of the Mandalorians. But it could get there. Um, I don't see Boa on the throne at the end. I don't. Like, we've been down that road. It never worked. Um, but eventually, you know, I've, I've said it like three or four times. I think Din and Bo will be hand in hand fighting together by the end of the season, if not sooner, um, which I cannot, I cannot effing wait to see. Like they're right there together. The puff figure of Bo and Din himself. I, I just can't wait to see it. Like, I think they're awesome and they're totally setting it up. Like after the episode today, I don't know if you guys saw it, but go on Twitter. Uh, they released two official posters of Din and Bo. Um, they were split down the middle with the dark saber in the middle on both sides, like clearly trying to set up the conflict between the two of them. And there, there might be a conflict of them fighting for the saber and Bo, you know, kind of getting in her head that she needs this kind of like sticking to the old ways again and thinking that Din's the enemy. But eventually I think she'll realize that that's not the way and that we're, we're going to get to a point where it's going to be the two of them. Din needs allies and specifically Mandalorian allies and Bo is the best bet, 100%. So, all right, let me get to a couple comments here. Uh, let's see. Bo-Katan is lonely now. She spends all her time on Space Tinder. Ah, I love that Space Tinder. That's great. That's great. I wish I had a better pun, but I don't. Um, Andy, I wish when I was depressed and alone, I was able to still look like that a lot. <laughs> Facts, Andy. Facts. And I love that the entire time she was talking, she didn't even move. Like, she was talking super serious and, like, giving it to Din. And she just didn't move. Didn't put the leg down, nothing. Like, I love it. 
I agree. I think Bo will become what Sabine was to her. That's a great comparison. I love that parallel. That's a really good comparison, actually, because Sabine meant a lot to Bo and impacted her a lot. Um, that's that. I love that. I love that. Uh, Gordon, I think they are trying to make us think that Bogusan will be an Emmy. Yep, just talked about that. I agree with you. Uh, Andy, we saw in the trailers Bo and Grogu hanging out. So I think she becomes someone he can trust as much as he trusts Grief and IG-11. I agree. I 100% agree. I think that Bo becomes part of that inner circle. And like I just mentioned, she needs Mandalorian allies. She me- she needs Mandalorian allies, 100%. Um, John, I've, I feel like we have already seen most footage from the trailer. There's definitely been a lot. I, I will agree with you there. There's still some stuff um, that has that hasn't been shown yet. But I wouldn't be surprised if most of the trailers are within the first like three episodes, maybe four. Uh, but that leaves three, four episodes of no footage. So, uh, see, I don't see the poster setting of conflict, but unity. I mean, it can definitely be both sides. The reason why I was saying that is because of how they kind of left at the end of the episode. Like, to the average viewer. So, t- take the Star Wars blinders off for just a second. To the average viewer, you see that confrontation is as a confrontation like not a good not a good piece of communication where Bo is still very salty she doesn't have the dark saber like din came to help and she wanted nothing of it and if you tie that in with the dropping of the posters again to the average viewer it looks like they're fighting for the saber that's but to us it's like yeah i mean i i can totally see the unity part of it for sure um like i i really want i'm looking i follow this uh this twitter account it's called text textless posters so they take movie posters and TV show posters and take all the text off of them. I'm really waiting for them to take the te- text off those posters so we can combine them to one wallpaper where it's like that. It's it's super sick. Super, super sick. Um, but yeah, look, guys, I, I think that as far as the first episode goes, I thought it was great. I thought it was a, a perfect setup for what was going, what was uh, what's coming. But I also thought it was a great individual story to get us back into the fold. I put it up on Twitter earlier and I'll just kind of reiterate here. It gave us everything that we've been missing, everything we've wanted from the characters of Mando and Grogu, but also sets up everything that's going to be happening for season three. Um, and the last thing I kind of want to just you know say quickly is, you know, season two, although there were, although there were you know, uh, main stories and goals, there were a lot of what people call side quests, you know, little missions to different planets, um, kind of still touching on that whole bounty hunter aspect right doing different things i don't know if you guys took it away as much as i did but i walked away from this episode really feeling like they hammered home that the season is going to be one big story that there's not going to be as many side quests as we have seen in the previous seasons that it very much feels like there's one conflict one story one goal much more than the previous seasons where like we'd go to a planet and do a story or we go to this and do that story. We meet this character and do that. I feel like this season is very much one straight through line from beginning to end, all about Mandalore and realizing who the true enemy is, uniting Mandalorians, etc. cetera. Uh, and that leaves me super, super excited because I've said it before and I'll say it again. The Mandalorians are my favorite thing in Star Wars over the Jedi, over the Force, over, you know, the rebellions in the First Order and all of that. I love Mandalorian culture, Mandalorians, and I want their story to be told. 
and what a great, great, great way to do it. I think that over eight episodes, you know, it'll bleed into season four, but over eight episodes of season three, we're going to get so much of it more than we ever have before. And I cannot wait. I cannot wait. So I'm super, super excited. Um, all right. A uh, couple comments here before we get out of here. Uh, oh, Brian popped in. Hey, Brian. Hope you're feeling better, buddy. Hi, everyone. Sorry I couldn't be there going through some stuff. Ah, you're good, dude. Relax. You're good. I thought I just thought Jake was a special guest. I am a special guest. I'm always a special guest. Let's be honest. I'm always a special guest. Uh, Jake's doing a great job. He loves that I'm not there to interrupt him. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with the statement, but I will say my mouth is really starting to hurt after all this talking. I did a Bad Batch review before this, which will be up tomorrow morning, and now I'm doing this. It's a lot. It is 100% a lot. Um, so, yes. Thank you, Brian. Uh, John, what are you saying? Jake likes to talk? Inconceivable. Uh, I mean, is that true? Do you guys think I like to talk? I'm interested. I like, it to, I like to talk about things I like to talk about. I don't know if I like to talk. I'm actually an introvert for people who don't realize. And Brian can back me up on that. Don't you lie to the people if you're still watching. Um, but no, look, uh, Mandalorian season three is off to an incredible start. I'm really, really happy with the first episode. I was, look, truthfully, I was going to be happy either way. I think that no matter what the episode was going to be about, I was going to be happy. Uh, I just love that these characters are back. I love that these characters are back. So I'm super excited to dive into it each and every week. Uh, again, we'll be live every Wednesday, six o'clock Pacific right here on the channel. Um, Brian should, should be here. I'll let, I'll leave that up to him. He, I'm just going to tell you guys flat out. He flaked on you guys today. He didn't want to talk. He didn't want to talk about the Mandalorian. He hated the episode that much. He just could not bear talking about it today. They just ditched out. He left me by myself. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, look, Mandalorian live every Wednesday, 6 o'clock Pacific, as Brian's probably frantically typing to, to make sure that's not the case. Um, the Bad Batch reviews will be pre-recorded for the next few weeks and uploaded Thursday mornings. We're, we're more than likely going to do a live discussion for the finale, but we're going to be doing pre-recordings because two live streams on Wednesday is a little tough. Can't do it Thursdays. And so uh, you'll see, um, you know, uploaded reviews for those uh, Thursday mornings, probably pretty early, like 8, eight 9 a.m. So check that uh, Pacific time, of course. Uh, so go and check those out. So the Fan Lauren Club, you get twice a week, guys. Super, super exciting. Very, uh, very happy to be talking all kinds of Star Wars. And hopefully I'm not doing it alone next week because I'm not doing it alone next week. Guaranteed for a fact, if Brian is not here, I will have a guest with me. And I have none other than Amaru Moses joining next week. He'll be joining us from Bite Size Breakdown as well as the movie Trivia Schmodown. Uh, he will be with myself and hopefully Brian to break down episode two, chapter 18 of season three, uh, Wednesday live, six o'clock Pacific next week. Uh, super excited to talk Star Wars with Amaru. Uh, he'll be on next week. I'm really, really happy uh, to get him involved. And, and again, we're going to have a lot of cool guests on this season um, talking Star Wars. Some people you recognize, maybe some people you don't recognize. Really, really excited. So make sure you're tuning in every single week here on the Fandalorian Club to join us. So uh, real quick, before we get out of here, I'll reveal Brian's favorite part. His favorite part was when them said, see you later to Cara Dune. Yeah, hey, I'm sure that was a lot of favorite parts for you, Brian. So thank you uh, for putting that in the chat. I appreciate it to everyone else in here. Uh, really, really appreciate you guys hanging in there with me for this whole hour. That was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. It's fun talking, you know, nonstop about things, but I also like having a co-host. So Brian, get better. 
feel better and uh we'll get you next week on here super excited to talk fando with you man um so look schedule for apocalyx fandalorian club live on wednesdays bad batch release on thursday mornings sundays for the next two weeks the last of us reviews after the episodes and then tuesdays we have apocalyx now uh which is our weekly live hangout show so uh make sure you're tuning in subscribe if you have not already Hit that like button so people can see that. And then uh, leave your thoughts in the comments below if you're watching back on the playback. Excuse me. Uh, I want to hear from you guys. Uh, I will comment back. I'll start a conversation with you guys. But I would love to hear you guys' thoughts on episode one of season three. So go ahead and head down there and leave your thoughts. So again, thank you to everyone who's been watching. We really, really appreciate it. Have a great rest of your week. And may the force be with you. Bye, guys.